bring him on each and every week at this time. The lead college football analyst at Fox Sports, the man who used to sit in that chair right there where you're sitting. He's presented by Audi Flatirons. It is the one and only Joel Clatt. Joel, uh, good morning. Say hello to Noshan. What's up, Noshan? How you doing, bud? I can't complain. Doing well. Yes, sir. Well, let's jump right into it, Joel. Uh, let's you let, Let's talk about what you saw in that that loss to uh, the, the Chiefs last Thursday. There there was a sense that, hey, maybe this defense and the much maligned Vance Joseph, things are getting better. But I saw a Kansas City team that, and I thought Noshan made a great point earlier, since they play the Broncos again in a couple of weeks, didn't want to show too much on offense, uh, really treated it like, almost like a preseason game. So maybe we shouldn't be that excited about what we saw from the defense? Well, I think that you also have to to take into consideration that, and I don't have the number right in front of me, but no offense is going to play its best, be at its most explosive, or attack in the same way that they would on a full week of prep uh, as they do like on a Thursday night game. And so the defense is always going to have an inherent advantage. Any defense that goes out there on Thursday night, and I'm sure no no Sean would, would back that up, it's always going to be more base offense and, and be more like a preseason game on Thursday just because of the lack of prep time. Um, and, and also, I would just say, and not to be negative Nancy here, but on a short week, in, in a week in which Travis Kelsey is basically playing on one foot, he still goes off. And it, I, like, I, I fail to see how you don't at least shut that down. And maybe maybe the, the whole game plan is is that we don't think that he's going to be healthy enough to go out there and, and do what he did. But um, that, that, to me, was a, a huge source of frustration when I'm watching that game. Uh, that being said, I did think the defense played better than they had in previous weeks. Um, and unfortunately, the offense just couldn't get anything going. Let's talk about that offense. Shannon Sharp uh, came out on ESPN Undisputed and said that he believes – Sean Payton's offense is out of date, that it's antiquated. And in a NFL where we watch San Francisco and the Rams and especially the Dolphins and all that pre-snap eye candy motion, the Broncos offense by comparison seems kind of static and stagnant. Do you agree with Shannon? Um, no, I don't. I, well, listen, is, is it a bit stagnant? Y- yes. Now, having having said that, I, I believe that the quality of, of the meal has more to do with the ingredients in the NFL uh, than than the person making the meal. Um, I, I gave a similar answer last week. Remember, Mike, when I was talking about name a coach, even the great coaches that have had success without a great quarterback. Well, you can also say that about the ingredients within the offense. You know, how did Kyle Shanahan do when, when Debo and Christian left the game last week? So it's like, oh, well, now all of a sudden it's like it's not the eye candy and it's not the dressing and the motion and the movement and, and the matchups because guess what? You don't have the matchups. So th- to some extent, is it correct? Y- yes. I mean, do we, do we want to see something different? Yes. Are the ingredients the right ingredients to go out there and make a really good meal? I'm not sure. And, and to be honest, I, I don't think that they – probably are you're not a one-win team at this point in the season if you've got really good players and this is a players league i i know that everybody wants i just think that in the national football league we give coaches way too much credit way too much credit it is a players league and the teams that have the players win 
the teams that have an organizational structure that is built to support those players, put them in position to succeed, they win. The organizations that have a structure that acquire the best players win. Do the best contracts win. And and you look at what Bill Belichick is doing right now, and even Sean Payton in Denver, and it's like these guys didn't forget how to coach. What I mean, all due respect to Shannon Sharp, did Sean Payton forget how to coach? I don't think he did. But he's not coaching with the same ingredients as, as what he was coaching with in New Orleans. Think about what he had in New Orleans and all of those different players and a Hall of Fame quarterback. He doesn't have that right now. Can you get rusty, though, as long as a guy like Peyton's been coaching in the NFL, just being away from it for a year? Can you can you get rusty? And are we seeing signs of that? Yes, I think that you can. And I, and I think that that's an interesting point. And maybe we're seeing signs of that, but I... I, I still think that the the much bigger factor is the the ingredients and the players that you're playing with. I don't think Denver is very good on the offensive line. That hinders any play caller or play designer. That's number one. Number two, I don't believe that they've got the skill position players to go out there and really take advantage of matchups in specific areas of the field. Therefore, you are a little bit more reliant on just the system. Well, when you're just reliant on the system, in this league, at that level, I don't think that you can have a lot of success. And and quite frankly, I just I don't think Russell's playing great. And and you need a quarterback at that level to play really well. In particular, when you got a team that might not be from a skill position standpoint as as good as as what they could be or should be. So, Joe, man, in, in your uh, opinion, what do they do at that quarterback position after this year? I mean, I know you know that that. They're thinking uh, ahead a little bit. We have some decent yeah. quarterbacks coming out of the draft this year. So it's like, what do you do? Do you do you release them and, and try to go for these one of these other younger quarterbacks, or you keep them? Like, what do we do then? Well, I I think that it matters where where you're going to end up um, in in the draft, but I think that you're going to have to have a, a real hard evaluation of of what he is at that point. If Denver has has one of the top two picks in the draft, then they should absolutely move on from Russell Wilson and take either Caleb Williams or Drake May. These two guys are excellent players. I mean, excellent players. As, as, as good as we've had come into the league in a long time. Obviously, there's been a lot of talk about Caleb Williams, not as much about Drake May, but this dude is, is he is way ahead of what Josh Allen was at this point in his career when Allen was at, at Wyoming. And, and plays a similar game with anticipatory style throwing, great accuracy. Guy is big. He's strong. I mean, he's he's going to be a star in the National Football League. So at, at this point, I don't think that you can make a decision on what's going to happen because you don't know the position that you're going to be drafting. I, I don't know what I would do if I didn't have one of those top two picks. And at this point, you know, if Carolina gets one of those, I doubt they're moving on from Bryce Young. So this is going to be interesting. If it, like, let me let me pose a question back, and and this can maybe be rhetorical. Do we really think that Chicago or or Carolina would take one of the top picks? Mm. Maybe Chicago if they had one more year of Justin Fields and decide, well, okay, we're going to move on. But Carolina, I don't think is going to. Mm-hmm. What is what does Arizona do? You know, with Kyler, Kyler Murray, so everybody is going to be in a similar position. And I think that there's going to be some flexibility up there at the top of the draft. But rest assured, if you could get one of those two kids, Drake May from North Carolina or Caleb uh, Williams from USC, 
they would make your organization better. Busy with Joe Clapp, presented by Audi Flatiron. Should we be scared off by Caleb Williams at all after the way he played against Notre Dame? 23 of 37, 199 yards, three picks? Yeah, that, that was a real product to me of, of poor offensive line play. And this guy, you know, he, good, bad, or indifferent, the only way that they're going to win is if he goes out there and does, like, really special things that are way outside of the box and above the X's and O's, as we used to talk about, Mike. Um, I don't think one game should scare you off. Um, if you look at his body of work in totality, it's incredibly special. Um, that was a game in which they played awful on the offensive line. They can't block anybody. They can't run the football. And because of that, you know, he was put into a position where he was basically running for his life. Now, can't turn the ball over. So that's certainly, you know, one of the first um, negatives that we've seen from him this year in particular, and maybe over the last couple of years. But I don't think one game would scare you off from a guy that's generationally as good as I've seen in a long time. Remember, there's five things I, I, I look at with a quarterback. You know, uh, one is, can you control a game from the pocket? That's a check. He can do that. Do you have the requisite arm talent to make all the throws? Yep, check. You can do that. Are you smart enough to handle everything from a schematics perspective? Yep, he, he can do that. Can you create um, and when things break down and, and, and be the eraser for your offense? Yes, he can do that. And then can you be a threat with your legs? Yes, he can do that. And when you look at the, all five of those areas, he's the only guy at this point in his career, this point in his career, okay, in college, that I've evaluated, and in every one of those areas, he is a great player. He does every one of those things in, in a great fashion. Every other quarterback I've ever evaluated was deficient, not even just like good, like deficient in one of those categories, and that's why he's a generational talent. Michael Penix, his stock has been rising after the way he played against Oregon to the point where heard from plenty of Bronco fans say, let's go get him. What's your evaluation of him? Yeah, I like Penix a lot. Older player. He's dealt with a lot of injuries. Started at Indiana. In fact, I covered him at Indiana, and so I've known him for a long time. Smart player. What I love about Penix is that he is a, a, he is a, a prototypical passer of the football, not just a thrower. So many times we talk about quarterbacks just in, in terms of arm talent, and, and, you know, how does it look when they spin it? And, yeah, we'd love the, the strong arm, but it's not just about how you throw the football. It's how you pass the football. And passing the football, in, in this context, it relates to, to timing and leverage and ball placement. And this is where he excels. When you watch him play, he constantly is throwing the ball to the proper leverage. So many times in college football, guys will bend seam routes towards the middle safety. They, they short throws. They constantly throw on the back shoulder because they're not anticipating. And this guy doesn't do that. Because he anticipates and he throws with great leverage, the ball is always going away from the defender. It's always in the most advantageous spot for the wide receiver to make a play. And he's got great wide receivers on the outside. In fact, one of the best in Roma Dunze in college football. Uh, but this, this ability to throw the ball with terrific leverage is unique. And it's rare. However, he doesn't do a lot of those other things that I was talking about. You know, he's not going to create for you. He's not going to threaten with, with his legs. He is a much more traditional passer in the sense that he needs to stand in the pocket. And he's also a volume passer. 
which I think helps him be in rhythm for some of those leverage throws. So you wouldn't pick him in the top five? Well, I, I didn't say that at all. Wow. Would you? Would you? Mike Evans. <laughs> Would you? Is, that is. All right. All right. Is, I tell you what. Um, <laughs> Would no, you? All right. Let me tell you. Would five. you, Joel Klatt, pick him in the top five? I don't know. I don't know. We'll we'll see. I think it had everything would have to do with with the way the season played out. What what I could get, you know, what my roster looked like. Um, but Penix is certainly a guy that you could build around. He's he's just he, he's not May or or Williams. Th- those two guys are going to be guys that carry their teams to playoffs. You know, year in and year out. Penix is a wonderful player that. I, I don't know. It's hard to project how can he elevate a team that doesn't have great players around it? Because mm. right now he's got as good a core of wide receivers as there is in college football. Um, but I'd really like what, I mean, I'm, I, it sounds like I'm knocking him. I'm not, he's going to be a top five pick. Would I pick him in the top five? I, I think so. Um, I think so. Let me just put it th- this way. He is an upgrade as a passer to Russell Wilson. Without a doubt. Mm. But would you rather, if the Broncos were picking three, four, or five, would you rather they take Michael Penix or, let's say, a stud tackle? Gosh. I, 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 Mike, on. it's tough to answer that without knowing, like, what, what picks do you have? You know, like, what? How many picks do you have? It's it's a hypothetical, and I get it. Like you're trying to, I, I'm not sure. I I would take Penix over like Olu Fashionu probably, um, probably over Joel. All um, right, I know it's, 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 it's a tough question. No, but you're I, making I don't know the draft the, the capital fact, that, the fact, that we have behind it. Right, but the fact that that he is, you know, borderline almost. Yeah, I would take him in the in the top five. If I was the Denver Broncos, I'll 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 take that as a strong endorsement. Yeah, I'm not being yeah, snarky. Yeah, it should be. I'm not it being snarky. Be. I'm, I'm not knocking him at I'm all. I'm being snarky. I, I, why why are you gonna think I'm always be, looking to be snarky with you? Well, because I sat in that chair, as you said. <laughs> I know, I know you. I've stared in those eyes. Of <laughs> I stared in those go eyes. Ahead, go, no, go ahead, no, Sean. <laughs> well, shoot, keeping it on the college side of things, there's a couple undefeateds in the top ten, right? Um, I know Georgia just lost a, a big player in Brock Bowers, um, so I'm a little nervous. But at the same time, I know, right? I'm I'm sorry about that, man. <laughs> I don't I don't like to see that. That was a bummer. I know, and um, some of these games haven't been up to the uh, Georgia standard from the previous years, right? So just looking at these top couple top teams that are undefeated, uh, which one are kind of the ones that may take that first loss? You know, oh, well, that's, that, I mean, that's that's a good one. We've had a couple of teams, you know, that that have faltered. Obviously, Texas yeah. uh, lost lost a tough one to Oklahoma. USC just lost. I look at the Pac-12 and that Washington team, even with that great win against Oregon, they've just got so many tough games coming down the stretch. That's going to be a, a, a very difficult road for, for all of those teams, but, but certainly Washington. Mm-hmm. And then the game that I have this week, someone's taking a loss. Penn State's going to play Ohio State. One of those teams is going to lose. I think Ohio State's under a lot of pressure. They're at home. They certainly don't want to feel like they're the third best team in that division after the last couple of years. Uh, Meanwhile, it's a big opportunity for Penn State to kind of put themselves on the level. So that's the next big one, and that's that's where the next loss is coming in terms of undefeateds within the top ten. And, I mean, 
but I will say though, because Georgia is not, as you said, what they have been in the past, I've been more excited for this season than a lot of seasons in, in, in the recent, you know, past, just because we have more parity. And I do think that our playoff is going to be better. I think we've got more teams that have a legitimate shot at the national championship. And that excites me about this sport. Where are you at right now with CU after that debacle against Stanford? Well, they they cost me a lot of hours of sleep because I had to stay up. I was on the East Coast, and I stayed up and watched the game, obviously. I was getting ready to call the Michigan game. And so I just started despising everything that the Pac-12 television contract was and started screaming at, to myself at 1 a.m. like, this is why the conference is dying right here. Uh, so that was that was one of them. Um, and then the other is, is that was severe mismanagement, severe. You've got to do everything basically wrong to lose a 29 nothing lead at halftime, in particular with the way that they had been dominant in the first half. You've got to, there, there's got to be failures from a coaching standpoint, from a game management standpoint, from a player's situational awareness standpoint, from a discipline standpoint, from a schematic standpoint, like all of it. And it happened. All of it happened. There was a total breakdown, and you could go over all of it. I mean, 17 penalties is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Uh, the Travis Hunter penalty on, on third down, you can't do that. Like, uh, you're going to get off the field. You can't shove a guy right in the face in front of the official. It's just like, it's mind-blowingly ugh, frustrating. Having said that, I don't think that you should go for it on fourth down on the first series of the second half, up 29 to nothing just across the 50-yard line, and you certainly cannot take a sack. Taking a sack on a fourth down is basically the second worst thing you can possibly do. Possibly. You can you can throw a pick, and guess what? You're going to gain the yardage because they're dumb enough to intercept the ball, and they don't realize that it's fourth down. There's so many things that can happen positively if you just throw the ball, and twice in that second half, we saw them go for fourth downs when they shouldn't have, number one, and then Shador mismanages the situation. You can't take a sack on fourth down and give a team a short field. Then when they did force them to drive the length of the field, they played with a single safety. You're up four possessions. You can't play with a single safety at all. The whole second half, and they sat there with a single safety and let Alec Ayo Manor catch about, I don't know, 8 billion yards worth of slant passes. (laughs) Like, you can't do that. Like you've got to, you've got to put a couple of safeties back. You've got to put six defensive backs on the field. All you should be thinking about, all you should be thinking about is how do we take the most clock that we possibly can with our fashion? I'm not saying you have to run the ball because they can't, but how do we take more of the clock and with a a running game clock, make sure we're snapping it inside of 10 seconds, the whole second half. That's number one. Number two, every time that they touch the ball, the, the opposition, we need to be making them drive the ball over 80 yards. And then number three is, because we're making them drive 80 yards, all we have to do is limit the explosive plays by playing soft coverage, put six defensive backs on the field. This is not about winning 63 to nothing. It's about winning the game. So the, the mismanagement in every single area was obvious and certainly frustrating as I'm sitting there at 1.30 in the morning thinking about the two hours of sleep I'm going to get before I call that Michigan game. But that was... That was a, a frustrating night, and and I understand. And listen, no one will be more supportive of Coach Prime than I am. I have been in his corner and in their corner since day one and will continue to be. That being said, 
This is not just a problem of does your kids love football or do they not? There was a severe mismanagement of the game, even from the coaching staff, and that is an issue on last Friday night's game. All right. We uh, gave you the chance to vent, and boy, did you. And (laughs) as we send you out, I know you miss desperately the 8 a.m. texters. Would you like to hear from one of them? I'm, I'm sure, yeah. Roll roll out of bed. What do you got, 8 a.m.? Here we go. Saw Joel Klatt for the first time on TV this season, tuning into the Buffs. For as cocky as he is and how much you guys tongue-bathe him about his attractiveness, I thought he'd be better looking. Not quite a face for radio, but he's no Jesse Palmer. <laughs> <laughs> do we tongue-bathe you? I, well, I didn't realize I, we did I, that. I don't even know. <laughs> what, what does that even What does that even mean? <laughs> Joel, you got uh, Ohio State and Penn State, huh? That's going to be a good one. That'll yeah. be a good one. That'll, yeah, be, a good that'll, one. Be, if, that'll uh, be a good one. See if Penn State's up tongue for the bathe. tongue bathe. Yeah. Only an 8 a.m. Only an 8 a.m. texter would say tongue bathe. Yep. Yep. They are special. Thank you, Joel. Appreciate it. Later, guys. Have a good one. Joel Clapp presented by Audi Flatiron.